Hello, it's so good to have you with us here at Leadership for Sustainability. This is the podcast where we help you lead on sustainability to deliver results and make a real difference in the world. I'm Osbert Lancaster, longtime sustainability coach, consultant and trainer, and co-founder of Realize Earth. So, Borat, back again. It's great to see you. Thank you, Osbert. It's nice to be back again. A second chance to, to chat through some of the interesting stuff we've been hearing. Absolutely. And this week, we are focusing in on Alan Hendry at Mark McDonald and the stuff that he was talking about. Yeah, it's really good to be talking about Alan. And I think he's a really interesting segue from what we were talking about with Toby in our, our last podcast. You know, With Toby working for fourth biggest bank in the world, investing literally trillions of pounds. And then talking to Alan, working for, you know, McDonald, huge infrastructure company, who are then turning that, that money that banks like Toby's would have lent into actual infrastructure on the ground. So hearing how previously the finance is thinking about sustainability and then thinking the infrastructure that gets built with it, how they think about sustainability and that was a really interesting look at both sides of the coin for me. We see roads being dug up or motorways being built, or we see buildings going up. But so I think you're hearing of the sustainability stuff that's going on there, from what Alan was saying, it's sort of so woven through. They see themselves are now as being, you know, providing the technical expertise to take society or take construction, at least, you know, so much of it and other stuff now as well. Take that, you know, create infrastructure in a sustainable way is is really exciting. What came through very strongly was about that social side of what they're doing, the interpersonal that goes on. Because again, my thinking is very easy to get into the mindset that, okay, they're designing something sustainable. So it's somebody sitting at a desk with a CAD system, doing an analysis of the supply chain that's going into it. And are we choosing this material? And are we choosing that material? Which is important. And that does absolutely happen. And the choices you make there are, are key. But it was the fact that he was talking about the focus on knowledge sharing and the hearing what people were saying and demonstrating interest in sustainability. Again, picking up what Toby said in, in our last podcast of opening that space for what people care about to come out and how that shaped that practical design process. And had told me he didn't want to talk about this global sustainability calls, you know, sort of, and yeah. I thought, okay, that sounds great. That sounds interesting. Um, but what I just sort of assumed that would be people talking about their sustainability expertise or talking about projects or whatever. The fact that it sounds like most of those were actually the clients talking about what they were trying to do, how it was working, what else they needed, you know, what their challenges were. I think that was a really interesting approach. You have the staff at Mott McDonald who, who go along to these workshops, being able to really hear from the clients that actually it's the clients who are keen about this. It's like, okay, how can we better meet the needs of our clients who care about sustainability rather than we're the experts in this? We need to educate and inform and help clients you know, see the light. And one thing that Alan talks about, which I found a really interesting idea, was the idea of the sustainability integrators. Once you've heard that from the client and you're trying to meet that client need, how you start integrating that into the work that you do. Um, 
that was a, a really interesting one for me of, of how that's playing out for them. And again, you know, thinking with, with my background in renewable energy yeah. and the, the juxtaposition between Toby and Alan, that all of these projects he'll be working on have fixed budgets. Your, your financiers, like Toby's bank, lend you a fixed amount of money to do this. And you have to build a project that's viable. And quite often in, in this kind of space with the infrastructure, you hear, oh, there's no budget for sustainability. But even though Alan doesn't talk about it, I know that they'll be working to very tight deadlines and parameters there. I suspect a lot of people who are listening have heard over the year, oh, we can't afford that. You know, sustainability doesn't fit within the budget. And yet here very much it seems to. If you build sustainability in at the beginning of the process, that sustainability thinking can help you build a better project rather than being something you add later on or halfway through. I totally agree with you that always, always that building sustainability in from the beginning. Again, something that I think we've observed quite a lot is that can be pulled into a really narrow focus of energy efficiency and resource efficiency. What comes through from what Alan's talking about is how much broader and how much richer their sustainability work is. And if you think back to our diagram of, of the sustainability journey, yes, it, it starts with that being efficient and, and being compliant with regulations and so on. And then that seed can blossom into so much more. And that's what I'm hearing here and what Alan's saying. Alan has spoken about this example of a client that gave this wonderful story around their objectives and, you know, what they were doing on sustainability. And then Alan asked the, the project managers, how's it going? And project managers were saying, well, actually the people working on the ground on this and delivering it, they've got no interest in sustainability at all. So there's lovely rhetoric coming out of head office, but it wasn't reflected in the, in the organization in it operationally. And I think that's sort of, yeah, I mean, that's a bit scary. Yeah. Come across that phenomenon a few times of a, a brilliant sustainability statement. And when you mention it to, to people you know, on the ground doing the work, they're like, sorry, what now? What are you talking about? Don't know what, you, what that is. And again, you know, Alan talking there brilliantly about you know, the need for conversation, the need to talk to people and get others on board, because it doesn't matter how brilliant your objective, how brilliant your methodology is. If people aren't behind it, if people aren't bought in and implementing it, you're not going anywhere. Um, so yeah, a, a very useful reminder of the importance of keeping everybody on board and, and talking to people and, and building that, that support for what you're trying to do. And I think that means that basically that is, this, you know, it, it comes down to culture. Absolutely. It's like you have the one most wonderful strategy, you have all the most wonderful values, you know, on the in, you know, be most beautiful posters, all your value statements in reception in HQ. But actually, unless people are doing, you know, living that stuff, it's meaningless. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, what is the nature, when we say culture, what do we mean? And there's that two parts to it, that you can think of your organizational culture as the stories we tell about ourselves, literally the poster in reception, which, you know, is the story that you want, you want it to be. But also culture is the way we do things around here. And that mismatch between the two, for me, has been the, 
the pitfall into which many a, a good sustainability intention has fallen. And, you know, Alan just talking about those things that they've been doing to make sure they don't fall down that pit, uh, that pitfall um, of, you know, talking to colleagues, having those integrators, having the clients in to talk about it, inviting people into that conversation. So again, that, that trap that we see in quite a few organizations where they have the sustainability department and, you know, mentally, emotionally, and organizationally, sustainability is just handed over to that department. That's what they do. And the rest of us are all doing something else. And that integration piece is really key. That's a really key one for me. Yeah. And on the very sort of practical grounds, he talks quite a lot about, um, what that means in terms of um, bringing these strong project teams together with these different skill sets. You know, yeah, he talks about the, you know, the engineers need to work with the planners, you need to bring the social scientists and the people, you know, environment, environment, environment experts and so on. They all need to be able to work together. But also recognizing very often they're not all working for the same company, not just multidiscipline, but they're multi-contractor um, and client and community as well in, in a lot of these projects. There must be a lot of really sort of strong sort of policy and procedure to make that work in these really complex, high-pressure environments. But even with all of those policies and procedures, it has to be underneath that. That only works when you've got people who respect each other's abilities and have, have trust in each other. Looking at uh, what Alan said, I suspect if we ran it through a word cloud kind of program, the word team would come up a lot there. He talks about it a lot. But we think about what Rich was saying about the nature of the sustainability team he had at PepsiCo, where they weren't actually a formal team or a department at all. They were a team of collaborators across the organization. And that's what I hear a lot in what Alan is talking about, that yes, there are teams within Mops and McDonald, which have certain areas of responsibility. But a lot of what he talks about here is that much more with a team of people with a shared interest, trying to get a shared task done even if we don't all work in the same department or even for the same organization. And likewise, what we were talking about, what we're hearing from Toby is about the importance of trust. And again, Rich talked about that as well. You know, his team was so effective because of the really high level of trust there. So two dynamics to think about, you know, that much wider concept of what you mean by team, and it doesn't just need to be within your organization. And that dynamic within the team, which is trust to, to really deliver those results. He talked about this huge frustration. In the last year or so, there has been three reports about different aspects of sustainability. One from the um, Institute of Civil Engineers, one from the UK Committee on Climate Change, um, Edinburgh Centre on Carbon Innovation, and the Net Zero Committee of the Scottish Parliament. All, all four of those organisations did different reports about aspects of sustainability and net zero. And one of the key themes in every single one of them was we need better collaboration. What's needed to unlock that? I was actually chatting to, to somebody in Offshore Wind about this the other day. One of the ways to think about what you were trying to do if you're in a sustainability role is finding those key allies across your organization, the project you're working on across your sector and, and bringing them together. And beginning to, as we talked about, build those relationships, build the trust by sharing what you care about. You go into it with the, this is the issue on which we're going to collaborate. 
how that collaboration actually manifests, I'm almost going to be a much more organic thing. As you begin to talk, everyone from their different perspectives, they will begin to be aware of opportunities to make change happen, which they can see because of where they are sitting in the, the, the whole picture. And to begin to combine those, that's how you're starting to leverage change. And although Alan doesn't talk about that specifically, if you look at what he's talking about with that lens and listen with that lens, you begin to hear that coming through, those coalitions of you know, bringing in the interested client, getting them to working, bringing the people together. And it's that very rich conversation that can happen when you bring those groups together, which is where the action begins to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with um, somebody who's working in the uh, sort of nature finance space. And he'd been on one of um, one of our retreats a couple of years ago, and talking about you know, the the quality of the conversation that he experienced there. Like, how could you know, we're everyone's so busy? We go to all these meetings. We're sort of rushing from one thing to another. We can talk about projects all the time, but we never really have time to get to know each other, really understand that sort of where we're coming from. And he was saying, well, what could we do to bring people together? And I was throwing some ideas around with him. And he said, no, 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 no. Basically, we just want to hang out. How would we, we just go away for a couple of days and just hang out together? I don't really see how sort of really deep, successful collaboration is actually going to happen at lots of levels without building really strong trust and mutual understanding. That can develop over time if you're working together. But I think we can also really sort of accelerate that by carving out some space and saying, no, this stuff is really important. And is that, is that just going away for a couple of days, staying in an overnight stay or something, and just spending some time together and not having an agenda, like there's some really deep hanging out and being able to have the conversations that you've never really been able to have the conferences or the workshops or whatever. I'm just really interested in creating that sort of space. So it'd be, I think it'd be so powerful. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more from all of our you know, 20 odd years of working in sustainability. What delivers really great sustainability results is strong teams. What makes a strong team is trust. And the currency of strong relationships and trust in a team is time. It's time invested in building the relationships, building trust. Everybody talks about when they go to conferences, that one of the most valuable bits is the networking, that literally the hanging out with the coffee and the biscuits in between the sessions where you're talking and engaging and linking with people. And we've seen it in the work that we, we do through Realize Earth, where we do take people away on those intensives. And we call it an intensive for a reason, because it is that real deep dive into building incredibly strong professional relationships in a very concentrated space of time. And I couldn't think of too many other places that I have experienced that in my professional life, other than back in the days where I used to do field work. And I think that is one of the, the rare places that it exists in a professional context that, you know, when there's a group of you and I, you know, very fortunate, I got to, to do field work in places like Belize. You know, where you're a group of people together for two weeks doing the work during the day, but in all those in-between times, you're hanging out, you're talking, you're sharing space, you're sharing meals. Um, and then the strength of relationship, it exists in very specific ways, in very specific professional contexts, but it is 
something of immense value that can be brought into the professional space, but squarely is part of organizational culture. You mentioned field trips there, and I was thinking, you know, back to Alan's experience, you know, these multidisciplinary, multi-stakeholder projects, yeah, they take place over a reasonable length of time. I guess the different people are working together and collaborating in real time over a significant period. There'll be a different sort of building up of trust and mutual respect and you know, communication and so on, which probably doesn't happen in a lot of other professions. So I know from my personal experience, um, and I do quite a bit of work with the planning system, one of the key negative impacts on the planning system of the lockdown was that people could no longer do site visits. And everyone I know who works on planning on big projects like Alan and Mott McDonald will be working on, they say a key pivotal moment is taking everyone on site, seeing is believing. Interesting, there's also usually outdoors, which is a very big thing that we're keen on. But the fact that people are together in vehicles and they all you know, are in one space together from all different aspects of the project, seeing it, experiencing it in the real world, and then talking about it, it's always been incredibly valuable. In the very technological dominated way of looking at sustainability, that social side, that interrelationship side, quite often gets overlooked. And I think this is one of the reasons why we don't see that investment of time, mm. because the strength of what you build there cannot be measured in the same way that the strength of the steel that you're using for your project can be measured. Plenty of people have tried to measure it. Yeah. But it is yeah. one of those things that, you know, you feel it. You feel the trust, yeah. you feel the relationships, you feel the, the real shift in the quality of the conversations that happened. And because the conversations are of much greater quality, the output that you get is so much stronger. It's starting to sound a little bit sort of airy-fairy. So what does that actually mean in practice? And one of the things it means in practice, it's exactly something that Alan said. I asked him, when projects are successful, what makes them successful? I think was the, was the question, something like that. And he, a lot of it comes down to the individual because the individual knows how to get the support they need. Almost like using that to, to define leadership in a sense. We can talk about you know, building trust and sense of community and stuff. But a big element of that is actually saying, you know, knowing, yeah, I need somebody who can help me with this, whether that is a technical skill or someone just to like to download and like have a brain dump and sort of talk some stuff through. You can have a database of people with skills, but that's not the same as knowing, yeah, I never really want to speak to Morag about this. She'll be able to help me talk this one through or whatever it is, or on a technical aspect, you know, someone, someone will have a particular approach that will really work here. This sense of community and knowing people and trusting people is about also being able to draw on their expertise and their support when you need it, where you need it. And without getting any theory again about this and, and disappearing off into change theory, you know, there are different roles in making change happen. And one of them is, the, to use the, the word maven, the trader in information, the person who just knows stuff. And then you have the connector, and sometimes those are the same people. So... Many of us who work in the sustainability leadership place, we are those, those mavens and those connectors that it's not necessarily our job to, to know it all, but it's to bring all the bits together. But if you're not one of those people, then probably you do know someone in your organization 
the person where you go and ask them, do you know who does this, does that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the person you want to speak to is this, this, and this. So, yeah, either for me in terms of practically what do you do in this space, having listened to this, what do you go back into the workspace? Having that mindset and that lens of am I the, the connector and the trader and in information who's bringing the key things together? And if I'm not, if I am one of the key things, but I need to be connected to others, where do I find that person in the organization? Who are they in my space who can help me do that? And that being your first place to start. And this is what I loved about hearing about Alan's role. Because again, in a company like McDonald's, where you will have a lot of technical specialists, the fact that an organization like that has seen the value of actually creating a role, which is specifically that connecting role within an organization is really important. So, you know, what we're talking about here is quite often that role is informal within an organization. Uh, it's somebody through their, their natural disposition and, and their personality naturally gravitates to doing this kind of thing alongside their other responsibilities. I don't think many organizations realize what an incredibly valuable resource that is. You know, I was lucky enough to work in an organization where people tended to go and sit in the same room and eat their sandwiches together. That was just so, so powerful and so helpful. But you know, we're in a very, very different world today, even before the pandemic and hybrid working and remote working. You know, people were eating sandwiches at their desks. They weren't coming together and hanging out. We should probably move on to what suggestions and ideas do we have for people to take away from this? I'd like to take a moment just now to let you know about our next event. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that most people are concerned about climate change and would like to make more sustainable choices in their lives. Despite this open door, most business sustainability initiatives fail to engage staff, and as a result, they miss their targets. The reason is that most initiatives don't pay enough attention to what genuinely motivates colleagues, nor do they recognise the barriers that hold back even the most highly motivated employees from taking action. On Wednesday, the 22nd of May, join me and Jamie, the creator of the Most Sustainable Workplace Index, and learn how the index can help you tap into and unlock most employees' latent motivation to do the right thing for people and planet. You'll discover how the index can help you to gather hard evidence of what's working and what needs attention across locations and divisions and seniority levels. You'll identify the focus areas where the sustainability team, L&D, HR and so on, should allocate time and resources to make the most progress. And you'll discover how you can demonstrate year-on-year -year progress with consistent and comparable data on sustainability culture. And you can use that for action planning, reporting, benchmarking and accreditation. Do join us on Wednesday the 22nd of May. You'll find the link in the show notes. So I'm going to start off with um, something around, think about what are the opportunities to understand more about your colleagues and other people in the organization. What are their skills? What are their knowledge? What are they interested in? What are they passionate about? What else are they involved with? Thinking about how to not formalize it in the sense of shoving it all into a database, but like thinking about what ways would work in your particular organization start building that stronger sense of community and informal knowledge of who knows what and is working on what and cares about what. And it won't necessarily be the right solution the first time around, but try stuff and then try something else. And 
I'm going to build on that because two practical things I do in my role all the time and like lots of others, I'm incredibly time pressured. There's always way more work to be done than I have hours in the day to do it. But hanging on to the idea of the importance of the investing of time, I always, whenever I'm writing meeting agendas, I build some time into that with that informal interaction, which is sometimes perceived by others as time wasting. You know, the, the little bit of chit chat at the beginning of the meeting and, and having time for a, a little bit of banter. But actually, that's what makes the meeting engaging. That's what draws people in. That's what builds the relationship. That works very well in a virtual space. Something also, but you're very familiar because you've seen me do it before. When I'm in the real world, the slight disruption that can be brought to the pattern by uh, food. So, you know, you know me, I, I like to bake chocolate brownies and bring them along to meetings. I've, I've also bought, you know, um, little jelly sweeties of the kind you give to children to professional meetings or, you know, making a joke about getting the really good biscuits from Marks and Spencers and that kind of thing. And there is something, again, incredibly human about stopping and eating and having a bit of a laugh around food. And, you know, to bring a whole baking to a professional meeting is actually a, a subtly disruptive thing to do. It disrupts a pattern. So instead of everyone going into their formal roles and then just acting as their job title rather than a bunch of people trying to work together on a collaborative task, that point of disruption can be very important. And Rich talked about it where he was able to go further and completely bring about a point of disruption by instead of meeting in a meeting room, meeting outdoors, meeting in a different venue. So it can happen at all sorts of subtle levels. It could be anything as silly as bringing some jelly sweeties to a meeting to building a little bit of banter into uh, what you're talking about, to, as we said in our earlier discussion, going up to a full-scale point of disruption where a team takes three or four days together to do a residential to, to really disrupt what is a standard working pattern and invest that time in the relationship building. Okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm resisting the temptation to sort of... Keep adding, keep adding. and play with that. But I'm going to move on to my sort of my next recommendation or suggestion. Suggestion. Um, picking up on what Alan says, create opportunities to talk with your clients about what they care about, what they're interested in, what they're trying to do, and bring sustainability into that conversation. In Alan's case, it was very clear that a lot of those clients you know, had a very obvious interest and requirements around sustainability. For many other companies, that may not be the case. But there will be people there amongst the customers who do care about sustainability or climate change or biodiversity or whatever it is and would like to do more about that. So starting those conversations and where the opportunity arises, get them to come and talk with, with your team. Get them to come and talk with the sales force or you know, the project management team or whatever it is. Find ways of creating those sorts of events that Alan was talking about where you get your clients and others doing this knowledge sharing and talking about what matters to them and what they're struggling with and bring sustainability into that as much as you can. It's another way of creating that space where you're giving permission to people to bring this stuff to work when very often the expectation is they won't. It's a private thing if you care about it at all. All of us here talking are, are, are British and we can be very reserved about these things. I'm going to offer some practical advice about how you actually initiate those conversations. And one of them came up in when we were talking about uh, Toby and what she had to say, which is you're asking, how did you come to be doing this? How did you come to be in the role that you're in? I'm, I'm interested to hear about what your path to this point has been. 
And now we've had the conversation again in terms of these these practical projects. We're here talking about building a road, a bridge, a, a whatever. You know, what wider benefits would you like this to deliver? What things do you care about in this space? And then people can respond at any level that they're uh, comfortable with. Some people may go really deep into the emotional connection for them. Some people may just touch on it lightly, and that's one of the the really straightforward practical ways of how you start initiating this kind of conversation. Yeah, good one. So, what else have we got? There must be something around around collaboration. Given those four reports that, that, that Alan mentioned around, we need more collaboration. We've talked about this before. But I'm just thinking, is there anything else specific that we might suggest or offer around collaboration here? The collaboration is a word that annoys me quite a lot because it gets thrown around a lot, and again, yeah. it can get a bit eerie theory and all very philosophical about what it is. Let's get right down to hard tax of what it is. It's a group of human beings who come together and agree to work together, each contributing to achieve something that they all care about. So again, keeping that framing in your mind, just saying, oh, we need collaboration, we need collaboration. Collaboration only works if it has an actual focus. And the focus can be a very practical one, we need to get this task done, or it can be much more of that sort of area of concern. I think our organisation needs to be doing more about our, our climate change impact, for example. And then you are bringing people together for a specific purpose and inviting them in. And that is always the key one for me. It's an invitation. And again, going really practical about how do you start that? I'm really concerned about climate change and I'm interested in how McDonald's, for example, could be doing more on this. And I'd be interested in having a conversation with some other people about how we might do that. And other people go, ah, yeah, it's not really my thing. Or yeah, yeah, I'd be really into that conversation. And again, it's that safe space of opening up. If people want to, they can step in. If it's not their thing, they can step away. And there's no pressure and it's not awkward and it's not difficult. Or if it's a really practical task, you are much more focused on, we've got to deliver this thing. I think there's some really interesting ways we could do this. I'd be really interested in having a discussion with other people about what possibilities here might be. Would you be interested in talking about this? And um, that's how you'll get your either positive or negative response. As you get those positive responses, bring those people together, have that conversation, and that's how you kick it off. That's how collaboration starts. I think you're right. Like collaboration by itself is meaningless. It's like, well, what are we collaborating for? What's the point of this? So I think what you've talked about there is a really nice way of like getting started with this. The next step is saying, well, okay, how would working together on this really well, what would that look like and feel like? How could we do that differently? Given that we're saying, well, if it hasn't really worked great in the past, well, what could we all... And I'd, I'd flip that around, actually. So when we've worked together effectively in the past, what were we doing? What was the conditions? What were the context? What was going on there? And working out, well, how can we do more of that? How can we make sure that as we go forward on this, we're working with things that have worked well in the past and doing, doing more of them? And if that may be, actually, we think, okay, maybe we need to try some other stuff because the stuff we were trying wasn't that great. It was good enough. Seeing this as an inquiry, seeing it as an action research process, let's take the good stuff and work with it and yeah. do more of it and see how we can make it better. But also, we might need to try some other stuff and see what works. And if it does, adopt it and, and do more of it. Well, they are dead on top of what you've just said there. Yes, absolutely that question. Where has it worked well in the past? 
what did we do? How do we replicate? You know, how do we learn from that and use that? If you are in a situation where it's not been done for, you don't have precedence for that, so you can't ask that question. There's some good stuff out there, and I uh, hopefully we can share it in the links for the podcast of models of what does effective team working look like, and you know there are various checklists, and you can bring it forward again if you're in a slightly more technological space. You can say. This is what research shows that effective collaboration looks like. How do we build this into our collaboration? Or if you are in a more creative space where you're talking about emotions and feelings, it's more common. You know, you can look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if that that self-actualization piece of what would that look like in our collaboration? So you've got two ends of the spectrum there from the quite technological research driven to the, the, the thoughts and emotions around it. And you can choose what would work in your particular organizational context. Yeah, definitely. We can put something about that in the notes. I think those are the main things that come out of this for me at this point. Anything else from you, Maureen? I think we've had a pretty thorough chew over this one. You and I could keep going at this all day, but I think that's enough. Let's not overload anyone's brains and let's stop right there. Let's do that. Okay, it was good to see you. And um, See you too. Yeah, see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including the resources that Morag mentioned, at realize.earth slash 113. We promote the show on LinkedIn, so if you found this useful, it would be great if you could connect with me on LinkedIn and share some of the posts about the podcast to your network. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and I hope this episode of Leadership for Sustainability will help you lead on sustainability in your organisation. You'll find additional resources, masterclasses and programs on our website at realize.earth. What you're doing is so important now more than ever. Be sure to look after yourself. Bye for now.